hearts, hearts that, that, that are ready to adore you and worship you as you deserve. God, thank you that you are here with us today, and we have peace and life in you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, thank you again for being here, church family. And another thing that we want to do as a family this Advent season, as we remember our, our reason to celebrate this time of year, is with an Advent wreath and an Advent candle. And so the Engelman family is here this morning. They're going to help us with this and uh, read our scripture for the day and light our next candle. Last week we uh, lit our first candle, which represented hope. And this week we're lighting the second one, which represents peace. And so we have Blake, Natalie, Stephanie, Hatcher, Woods is over there. These guys are awesome and so grateful that you guys are going to help us with, with lighting the candle today. So I'm going to hand it off to you, Blake. Thanks, Noah. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having us up here. Um, before we read from the book of Luke, we wanted to just take a moment um, and invite you guys to join us in something that we sometimes do as a family. Um, we're going to take one minute I will time it so it doesn't go on forever and ever, and ask you guys to join us in a moment of uh, a minute of being silent and still before the Lord. This comes through Natalie and I from a place we, um, we have this little activity that we engaged in called the leaving home exercise, where we imagine the day that our kids leave home. Um, and in that, we imagine what we want them to know about uh, God and their faith and the world. And part of what we want them to know is how to be silent and still before the Lord, to listen to him and to be silent with him. So um, I'm going to set a timer for one minute, and we would ask you guys to just close your eyes and join us in that. If you've never done this before, one minute can feel like a really long time. Um, and if your mind gets distracted, because it will, we just invite you to view that as an opportunity to come back to the Lord. All right? Close your eyes. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. 
While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Let's give them a little golf clap as they head back to their seats. Thank you so much. That's a lot of pressure, like, is that thing going to light, right? And uh, you, guys, you guys got it done. Thank you so much for sharing, and, and great to have a, a minute just to be silent before the Lord to you. So thank you, Engelmans. Uh, I want to introduce you, or for most of you, reintroduce you to Sean Hawley. Everybody say, hi, Sean. I did that in first service. It was just like wonderfully awkward, and I just felt like doing it again. So like, that's what we do in children's ministry uh, at Awanas. You know, I was like, hi, Sean. So it just felt right. Um, but Sean is uh, such a gift to our body. He and his wife, Caitlin, and their family, they've been here since the beginning, um, old timers with Redemption Church. And uh, he's been through PLI, our Pastor and Leadership Institute, graduate of, of that program, and has a gift and a passion for God's Word, teaching God's Word. And so he's been up here a handful of times. It's been a little while, so great to have you back up here. And I just want to pray for him and pray for all of us as we receive what the Lord has to say uh, in and through Sean today. So pray with me. God, thank you so much that we get to be here today as a family, uh, Lord, your family that you have adopted through your son, Jesus. Uh, God, thank you so much that we can have peace in you today. As Sean's going to share, Lord, help us to reflect and to remember how much we have to be grateful for because of what you've done for us, Jesus. So, Lord, help us to have ears to listen. Help us to have hearts that are moldable, shapeable by your word, by your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would speak in and through Sean and your word to each one of us this morning. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, Will. Well, if you don't have your Bibles open, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. Um, we're going to be looking at the text that the Engelmans read for us. So thank you guys. Thanks for uh, reading the scriptures for us and uh, for lighting the candle. Appreciate that. Um, so if you don't have a Bible, there should be Bibles in front of you or underneath your seats. If you don't, um, we, can, we can get you one. Um, but it's on page 857 if you are using those Bibles. But Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 14. We're going to be looking specifically at verse 8 through 14. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll dive in here. But before I do, uh, I, a little bit of a confession for you. I always try and keep my sermon titles as short as possible. It's kind of like a little bit of a challenge for me of, like, how short can I get my sermon title? 
And uh, it's, it's one of those nerdy things, but it's a confession. The reason for that is because my memory, not your memory, but my memory is limited, and I, I try to remember my own sermons as we go about normal, everyday life. Um, and if I can remember one word, it's a good thing. So um, so with that being said, this, this sermon title this morning, I've perfected. I've gotten to one word, and... Uh, and that one word is packed with emotion. It's, it, while it, it might be one word that brings unity, it also might bring division. It brings relief, but it also might even bring guilt. It's, like I said, it's one word that, that packs with it and carries with it an incredible amount of emotion. So with that being said, the word is behind me, plastered on the wall on the cross, peace peace. Now, when I say peace, there's likely some of you that might feel maybe a, a great calm relief. Maybe you just, at the very mention of the word peace, you just, ah, just peace. It's almost as if like one of your greatest and favorite smells just kind of passed over, you know, like, oh, yeah, peace. Or maybe it's as if you're in a dark room or in chaos and all of a sudden there's just a, a crack in the ceiling that just lets in a beam of light that all, out of nowhere is a beam of light that pierces the darkness. Perhaps when I say peace, there's likely some of you who might feel guilty. Or maybe guarded. You might just even roll your eyes and say, well, I know that I'm supposed to have peace. I do have peace. Just leave me alone. Like, just have peace, okay? It's enough. Or maybe when I say peace, there are likely many of you, if you're honest, feel a stab of irritation. Because no matter what you do, and no matter how much you want peace in your life, it just kind of slips through your fingers and out of your grasp. And you might be thinking, I know that I'm supposed to have peace, but how am I supposed to get a moment of peace? Or some of you might be thinking this thought, I don't think that there ever will be peace, especially in my home. Some of you likely don't even want to hear me say that word, because it's just too painful to think about. At Christmas time, we can't avoid the word peace. We throw peace around all the time. In fact, when I was recently traveling, I was sitting at Ben and Jerry's, because why not? And uh, I was sitting by, my, by myself, eating ice cream, and as I was just thinking about the sermon and what I could be saying, I was looking at my cup, and it said, peace, love, and ice cream, like Ben and Jerry's. We throw peace around all the time. We dig it out of the corners of our closets. We hang it on the walls. We put it on our cards. We parade it around as a decoration, and we put it on display for four to six weeks of the year. And we tell others just to have peace. Stop it. Have peace. As if we're supposed to go about our lives normally for the rest of the year, but just for one month, one month, the month of December, we ignore our problems and we tell ourselves that because it's Christmas, or tis the season, you've heard that, we push our issues to the side and we call it peace. And once the four to six weeks are up, we put our peace right back in the closet and we go about our lives as if nothing has changed. Now, friends, this morning this, I want to communicate that this understanding of peace, what I just mentioned, is a tragic, it's a shallow, 
It's a truncated and it's a false understanding of peace. This is a peace that does absolutely nothing to help the human heart in the darkest, in the scariest of times. It's a peace that just, it, it comes for a moment and it's a fleeting moment. It goes away and it's quickly just forgotten and changes nothing. Perhaps, especially at Christmas, we see that rather than having peace, we are confronted with the reality and the truth that we are all in desperate need of peace. And perhaps, especially at Christmas, we see our need for peace in the clearest of light. And as much as we desperately want it and long for it, we're faced with the grim reality that in our world there is very little to no peace despite our best efforts. And in fact, every single one of us are in desperate need of peace. Every single one of us are in desperate need of peace. Now, our passage this morning is the greatest message spoken to mankind, and it brings peace. It brings a real peace. It isn't just a cold demand to just have peace. It isn't about a fleeting and temporary peace, and it's absolutely not about finding and looking within ourselves a a peace that if somehow if we just be harder, if we just think harder, or if we just look deeper within ourselves, somehow we'll find this peace, bring it out, and experience a true inner peace. That's not what this passage is about. No, this passage is about a conquering peace, an everlasting peace, and a complete peace. This passage is about a long-awaited peace that is declared by a host of angels, a peace that has now come between God and man. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The main point that I want you to walk away with this morning is this. Peace has come through Jesus Christ our Savior. That's the main point that I want to make this morning. Peace has come through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we're going to see that message declared in our text this morning in a couple different ways. We're going to look at, first of all, all, verse 8 through 12. Like I said, we we read verse 1 through 14. We're going to look specifically at verse 8 through 14 this morning. And we're going to break it into two sections. Verse 8 through 12, we're going to look at the personal, the angel's personal declaration of peace. And then we're going to look at the second section of our passage in verse 13 and 14, and then we're going to look at the the public display and declaration of peace, that peace has come through Jesus Christ, our Savior. But before we look at verse 8, it's critical that we just take, take a brief moment and look at context. Our text comes on the heels of one of the most miraculous, if not the most miraculous events in human history, the birth the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 2, is it's a progression of events that leads to a climax. So you, t- you typically see this by the, word, the use of the word and. It's either a series of events or it's a progression of events leading up to something. Now we see this in our text this morning. Look at verse 3 if you have your Bibles open. Luke chapter 2, verse 3, it says, And all went to be registered. 
Look at verse 4. And Joseph also went up to Galilee. Verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Verse 8. And. Verse 9. And. Verse 10. 12. 13. So right, right away in verse 8, we've, we've entered into the middle of the progression. And we'll follow it through to verse 14, which I would argue is the climax of this section. But to sum up verses 1 through 7, you guys are familiar with this. This is hopefully nothing new to you, but I wanted to just sum it up for us to help us better understand our text this morning. We see that because of Caesar Augustus' decree for a census to be taken of the whole world, that Joseph, who is the house in lineage of David and his betrothed Mary, who is with child, they went to Bethlehem. And while they were there, the virgin Mary gives birth to her firstborn son, Jesus, and wraps him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, in order to help us better understand our text this morning, I also want to read two scriptures that help us just kind of speak to what the birth of Jesus really was. Uh, we read this one, this one last week. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. Greg read it, but I wanted to revisit it. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the of the of the excuse me of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Look at with me Matthew one chapter or chapter one verse. 20 through 23, it says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So with that in mind, let's look at our text this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And, again, we come back to the middle of the progression. <clears throat> and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now in verse 8, the scene shifts from Joseph and Mary and Jesus, and it shifts kind of outside the town to where the shepherds are. In the same area during the night as they're watching their flocks, the birth of Jesus was first announced on earth to the lowliest, the most marginalized, the unclean, the working class sinners, and some of the poorest people of the day. And our text says that the glory or the celestial splendor, the divine effulgence, the dazzling majesty and radiance of the Lord 
shown around them. And this angel speaks to the shepherds and declares a very personal declaration of peace. Fear not. Why? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now the Greek word used here for good news is where we get the word evangelism. And it means to announce good news. And good news itself is, is what we call the gospel. The gospel is the good news. So announcing the gospel or announcing good news. So in this passage, we see the angels literally declaring and announcing and heralding the gospel in magnificent glory. Why? What is the good news? What is the gospel? Look at the first word of verse 11 with me. It says, for. Anytime you see that word, it's an, it's an explanation of something that's come before it. So it says, why? What is the good news? For indicates the explanation of the good news. The angel heralded it by saying, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, because unto you on this day in the city of David a Savior, a Deliverer, a Preserver, one who saves from danger and destruction, not only this, but because of the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the one who's been promised for years, the one who has been anointed by God himself has been born. On this day, the Lord himself is born in the city of David, Jesus. This is the good news. We have good news. Good news, which is the cause for great joy that will be for all the people. Who is he? God revealed through the angels that night. And he also revealed through the prophets for years before. And Jesus himself eventually reveals it. But the important thing to note is that God took the initiative. And he had the angels declare that this specific newborn is he. This child is the one. This child is the Savior. This child is the Deliverer, the Preserver. This child is the one who saves from danger and destruction. This child is the Anointed One from God. And this child is Lord. How are you to find him? Luke 2.12 says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. What a strange distinguishing feature. There is only one child in the entire world that would be lying in a feeding trough with the animals. He's not the one in the palace. He's not even the one that's wrapped in the finest of cloths. He's not the one in the... In the um, in the protection of walls. He's not the one being paraded and recognized by the royal family. No, he's the Savior, the Christ, the Lord of birth. He's the one that's wrapped in cloths and lying in the manger. This child is the Prince of Peace. Peace has come through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that's, that's the first part of our text. That's the first section. That's the, the personal declaration of peace. Now, if, as if that wasn't enough, we come to the angel's public declaration of peace. If you look at verse 13, read with me, it says this, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. A multitude is not a specific number. It's not an exact number. It's, it, just means kind of, it just means fullness or a large number. Or an assembly. 
What is a host? A heavenly host is also a heavenly army as in camp. So literally what unfolds before the shepherds that night was the complete, the clear, and the conquering display of the full number of the heavenly army praising God, saying glory to God in the highest. And on the heels of this praise they declare, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now what has amazed me as I've studied this passage are not just their appearance. I don't know if you've ever Googled this section of scripture for images, but nothing really kind of appears that's really satisfying or like grasps what happens. Every once in a while there's a painting or a some sort of a rendering that shows and captures kind of the moment. I didn't find one of that this one of those this week. And if I did, that, that wouldn't have been what particularly amazed me. But what amazed me this week is that in the full glory of the encamped heavenly hosts, they declared a message, a specific message. What was the message? It was glory and peace. Glory and peace. Because Jesus was born in this city that day, the angels declare, first of all, glory to God in the highest, meaning honor, due, or rendered, praise, applause, that God may be honored, made much of, made recognized, and acknowledged, and praised in the highest of places. That because of the birth of Jesus, God ought to be praised, honored, and applauded in the highest of places. Why? Because he alone deserved it. He alone did this. The angels didn't come and declare glory to man. This wasn't a work of mankind. This wasn't anything to do with us because of what we did. It was the work of God alone. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. To him be all glory and honor forever. Amen. So not only did they rightly and firstly declare glory to God in the highest, but they also declared peace. Also, because Jesus was born in the city of David that day, the angels then declared, secondly, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Here lies the wonder of Christmas. As I mentioned earlier, I simply titled my sermon, Peace. And the more that I study this passage, the more I realize that this is the greatest declaration of peace throughout the history of mankind. And I mean that when I say that. This passage is a big deal. Peace! There's peace. Peace is defined here as the freedom from conflict, particularly in a civil sense. Or it means the opposite of war or dissension. Harmony between parties. Freedom from turmoil. The message of the angels is that peace has come through Jesus Christ our Savior. You and I know that this declaration was not a declaration of peace in an earthly sense from man to man. In fact, what follows shortly after the angelic declaration of peace is one of the most tragic events when the, they, there was the slaughter of all the little boys at Bethlehem. This wasn't a declaration of the end of conflict between man to man. So what in the world did the angels declare that day? They declared an end to the conflict of, or war between God and with those whom he is pleased. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. No more conflict of war between God and man. Remember, who is declaring the message? What was significant about the armies of heaven declaring the message? What, why would you send an army to declare peace? 
as I was trying to figure out the answer to that question this week, there was an event that came to mind. And I'll show you, you guys, you can put the picture up. This is the picture that I found. You guys are probably very familiar with it, but it's a picture of what happened on, on VE Day in World War II. Who's declaring peace? The armies who had been fighting. The men and women who have fought in the war. They declare peace. The angels are declaring peace. Peace has come through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now the angels declared in verse 11, they said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now this news is for all the people. First for the Jew, then for the Gentiles. What is critical for us to note is that while this peace is available to all men, it is not given to all men. That's a critical part of this text. While this peace is available to all men, it is not given to all men. Peace is actually reserved for a specific group. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Here is where our passage gets incredibly personal and incredibly serious. To those of you who aren't trusting in Jesus as Savior, as Christ and Lord this morning, to those of you who hear this passage and think nothing more of it than just another Christmas tradition, you have nothing to celebrate this morning. If you're thinking that you're going to be good enough, if you're thinking that you're at least not as bad as the person sitting next to you, you are gravely mistaken. You are not among those who are under peace. You are not among those with whom God is pleased. How great a fool is he that declares peace to himself while he is unknowingly at war. How great a fool is he that declares peace to himself while he is unknowingly at war. Romans 5, 10 through 19 says this, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one, no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, open graves. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Did you hear, do you hear the conflict in that text? Did you hear who our conflict is with? The way of peace they have not known. Every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to who? To God. Apart from Christ, our issue is with God himself. Apart from Christ, our issue is with the righteous God himself. And apart from Christ, the reality of our situation is that we were actively engaged in war with the great I Am. Colossians 1, once you were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Romans 8, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in this flesh cannot please God. Romans 8. 
Ephesians 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind, there is hostility between God because of our sin. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. However, there is good news this morning. The good news for you this morning is that there is an open invitation to this feast. He who has ears, let him hear this message this morning. Peace has come through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Peace may be found. Peace may only be found through Jesus. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's Romans 10. That's promise. My message to you is lay your arms down while there's still time. Surrender to his terms of peace. And then you will be among those with whom he is pleased. Peace may be found. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace has come through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now I want to speak to those of you who are trusting in Jesus as your Savior, as Christ, as Lord, my brothers, my sisters this morning, those with whom God is pleased. This is what we celebrate this morning, is it not? We celebrate that peace has come through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen? The peace that we celebrate at Christmas is infinitely deeper It's vastly more satisfying. It's eternally more significant than just a decoration or a bumper sticker or just a cold demand to have peace. We celebrate that peace has come through Jesus Christ our Savior. That's what we celebrate at Christmas as Christians. That's what we celebrate Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Ephesians 2, remember that you were at that time separated from God. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in the one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Excuse me, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 4 through 5, right before we get the famous text, for unto us a child is born, we get these words. It says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as of the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior 
in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. The war is over. It's done. It is finished. Glory to God in the highest, and on, per, uh, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is a declaration to you who are clothed in Christ this morning. Since we are clothed with Christ and have been united with him, God himself looks upon us as he did his son Jesus at his baptism and his transfiguration. He says to you, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. This is good news. This is what we celebrate at Christmas and every Sunday, that peace has come through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, since this is true this morning of us, I have two applications for you. First of all, is the same application that the angel spoke to the shepherds. It says, fear not. The result of peace is peace. The result of peace is peace. A peace that transcends understanding. A peace that is not dependent on the speed of life or the seasons of life. It's a, a peace that is not rooted in the understanding that 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 or excuse me that is rooted in the understanding that there is freedom from conflict between you and God. There's no more war. There's no more dissension. There's no more worry. There's no more concern. There's no more fear. You no longer have to live in fear. You can now rest in the knowledge that God is pleased with you only because of His work on the cross through Jesus. You can now confidently approach the throne of grace, and you can now joyfully walk in obedience. And do what the shepherds did and go glorify him and praising him for all that they've heard and seen. You're free. A good picture of this, I think, oftentimes is in my managerial role at work. The boss will call me in and he'll say, Sean, our system's not working great. We need to we need to update our system a little bit. We need to do things a little bit differently. And I say, Okay, great. I understand that. Yes, sir. And uh, as as I go about making those changes, my coworkers usually don't like those changes, and they look at me and say, "Come on, man! Like you just made more work for me. Like what's what's up with that? Why are you doing this to us?" And oftentimes, what I have to come back to is that I know it's difficult. I know I'm going to face opposition, but the guy who signs my paycheck is happy with me for doing it, so I'm going to do it. It's the same on a very small scale. It's the same deal here. The guy who signs my paycheck is pleased with me. So I'm willing to face those oppositions and to do those freely and with all confidence. So which brings me to my last point of application for you this morning. Secondly, because we have been reconciled, we not only don't have to be afraid anymore, but we ought to and get to imitate our Lord Jesus in everything. Philippians 2 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We ought to humble ourselves and become obedient, just as our Savior did himself. Because it has been finished, let us humble ourselves and stop fighting. Because it's been finished, put away your poisonous tongue. Stop biting and devouring one another. Forgive one another. Be reconciled with your brothers. Bind up the wounds of 
the broken. Show mercy to those who don't deserve it. Love your enemies. Be hospitable to one another. Stoop to shelter the poor. Help the widow. Protect the fatherless. Gouge out your eyes that causes you to falter. Cut off your hand that causes you to sin. Throw off every weight and run with endurance the race set before you. Not just for four to six weeks, but until the end, forevermore. Colossians 3 says it this way, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Peace has come through Jesus Christ, your Savior. Now as we close, we're going to spend some time in communion, and I'll invite the worship team back up. Um, But as we do this, communion is a thing for the believer, for those with whom God is pleased. So if you are not trusting in Jesus this morning as your Savior, Christ is Lord. We just ask you to simply remain seated. However, if you are not trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, Lord, then we ask that you would partake in the sense that lay down your arms. Stop fighting sin. Confess your sins to him and receive peace through Jesus Christ. And then come partake of the bread and the, and, the, and the juice. And to my brothers and sisters this morning, and just a reminder that this is a proclamation until Jesus comes back, one day he will come back. Until he comes back, we do this in remembrance of him, and we proclaim to one another that his death is sufficient for our salvation. This is what we celebrate this morning. And this is the promise until the end, forevermore. So before we sing the song, and you guys, when you're ready, as they're playing the music, you can come up, partake, take the cracker, dip it into the juice, and then uh, partake there and make your way back to your seats. But while they're, before they play, I want to just close with one scripture. It's from 1 Corinthians 11. It says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Peace has come through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your proclamation of peace.